Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm so excited. I've been really stirred this week about today and I just pray that you will respond and I will respond. We will respond, not just with amen and clap, but internally, that there'll be a response in our hearts. I remember being in New York many years ago in an African-American Italian church. Now, you get that mixture together, you eat well and you make a lot of noise. And uh, you put those two tribes together. It was in New- on Long Island, New York. My cousins used to attend that church and we went to the, the service and there was an African lady uh, just slightly to my left in front of me with the biggest hat. You couldn't see the pl- pulpit because the hat was getting in the way. And every time the white Italian preacher would say something she'd like, she'd go, mmm, mmm, And I'd go, oh, but I wasn't ready for this. He must have said something so powerful that she jumps to her feet and she shouts, preach it, white boy, preach it, white boy. <laughs> now this morning, if you feel in the spirit, to jump up and say, preach it, white boy, or preach it, fat boy. Oh, no, who said that? <laughs> Faithful, available. And what's the other one? Teachable. There you go. So, <laughs> but boy, it would be good for us to respond internally. I can't promise I'll get through it all, so we'll see how we go, because I keep changing it. I even had my notes upside down just then, so that would have been an interesting talk. How good was young Dan last Sunday? Fantastic. I am just jealous that nobody calls me young Dan anymore. You know, there was a time they used to call me that. Young Dan, you did good today. But they don't call me that anymore. They, call, they can call me anything. They need to say it three times because I can't hear them. And then, you know... Um, you know you're getting old, you know. I, I sunk my teeth into an apple the other day and three of them stayed there. And I thought, you know, um, I think things are deteriorating in my body. My back goes out more than I do. Morgan's been looking after me and he's been manipulating me for a long time. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, you see, these, are get, these dad jokes are bad, aren't they? The little old lady I help across the street is now my wife. Um, <laughs> I, I got a new recliner the other day. I can sit in it. I just can't get out. When people knock on the door, it takes me ages to get to the front door because I can't get out of the chair, you know. And you think, mate, I get confused about the questions people ask me. I was at the stoplights and a guy uh, comes up to me walking and he says to me, can you tell me the fastest way to the city? And I said, are you walking or are you driving? He said, I'm driving. I said, well, that's the fastest way. And, and I don't think that was the question he was asking. And, and so, you know, I, uh, I even put my shoes on the wrong feet. For some of you that are new here today, that's what I did in this church a few weeks ago, turned up with the shoes on the, on the wrong feet. So, so it's not uh, 
how good is young Dan anymore? And uh, I don't remember a lot of things. I've probably told you all these jokes a thousand times and you're laughing out of respect because I can't remember <laughs> whether I've told you. But I'll tell you what I do remember. Put God first in your day. Put God first in your week. Put Him first in your finances and your relationships and your choices. And you know what? I went home from when Dan preached that last week and I applied them to my own life. I rediscovered my old prayer chair and I started to do, because I pray at different times, I pray often, but I just felt stirred by the Holy Spirit. And that's because we need to be receptive when we come and hear the Word of God. And what I'm going to share today, I pray will be a great help to us all. I've called the message, The Big Shift. The Big Shift. There's been a drift over the last 20 years between biblical Christianity and secular churchianity in the West and modern world. The good news is that it's turning around and there's a coming back to clarity about true Christianity. And I am so excited about that as I talk to young people and some my age and talk about we just don't want to play the game. You know, people talking about COVID and how bad it was. It was a gift from God in some ways because it's asking us to look at what really works and say, what do we need to do in order for us to build the kind of church? Well, we don't build it, Jesus builds it, but to partner with Him in the kind of church that you can bring your friends to and no, they're not going to be sold a product. They're not going to get an extra set of knives and they're not going to get this if you buy into this. You don't buy into Jesus. You don't join a church because if you join, you can leave. You're born into the family of God and you are family when that happens. Three things I'm completely convinced of. Jesus said He will build His church. There's no plan B. He's not going to say, well, if you guys don't get it right, I'll go and join the Muslims or, or the Buddhists. Or Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Have you ever seen anybody go into a fight with some gates? Now, I don't want you to take offence. Oh, sorry, who said that? Oh, that's terrible. That's really bad. On the spot, but really bad. When someone's in a fight, they don't pull up a couple of gates and start chasing down the street, unless you're Italian. But anyway, uh, <laughs> gates are not offensive weapons. They are defensive. It stops the enemy from coming in. And the enemy to the gates of hell is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said he will build that church. Our strongest and best days are ahead of us as we move forward and see Jesus build his church as long as we become Christian-behaved people, not churchian-behaved people. Now, before I go any further, that doesn't mean perfection. It means direction. See, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. God wants His church to go in the right direction and we slip up along the way, we make mistakes, but we get ourselves up again. His grace is able to heal us and restore us. You know, if a plane was about to crash, how many people would say, listen, we're nearly hitting the ground, we might as well go all the way? No matter how low that plane gets, if it can be pulled up and save us, it will happen. And I want to tell you, a lot of people think the church is crashing and it's about to hit hard times. But I want to tell you, that plane is picking up again. And if we get on board with what God tells us to do, the greatest days for the church are ahead of us. But for this shift to happen, 
The sift has to happen. The first time I spoke here a few weeks ago, I said God will allow a sift to bring about a shift so he will bring about a lift. He wants to lift the church to be the church he ordained it to be. And to do that, we've got to go from churchian to Christian. We've got to go from churchianity to Christianity. Oh, Pastor Danny, if I could only get my son to come to church, maybe something would happen. And that's good because I'd rather people be churchians than nothing at all. Because while you're a churchian, there's a chance. But we don't stop at churchian. We move from churchian to understanding what it means to be Christian. So let me give you some differences. A churchian is a church goer. A Christian is a Christ follower. A churchian is inward looking. A Christian is outward looking. A churchian looks for personal outcomes. A Christian looks for purpose outcomes. A churchian is easily offended. All for Jesus, I'm offended. It's a new hymn we're writing. We're offended easily, but a Christian is extended easily. Because if you can be upset or if you can be offended, God will arrange it. He'll prepare for it so he can teach us in that offence how to grow and go in the right direction, not perfection. Now, one of the things that happens in life and sadly in church is that we often transition our external world rather than transform our internal world. I want to put a chart up on the screen and I want to explain something. In life, most of us at some time experience happiness until somewhere along the line there's a trigger point and something upsets us. A relationship breakup, stuff with the kids. It might be church issues. And a trigger point goes to a place of discomfort. And we start to feel uneasy. And it's not a day or two or three, but it's a pattern. So what we are tempted to do is to transition our external world and make external changes. I remember listening to a psychologist talking about a doctor in America who was married for four times and what happened was each time he lost one marriage, he would go and marry someone like the one that they had broken up with. And he was attracted to opposites until they got married and then the opposites drove them apart. And so what happened was he just kept transitioning his external world, trying to find the answer and four marriages later, he realised, I'm just transitioning, going from happiness, moments of it, to a trigger point, to discomfort, and then change my external world, transitions. Sadly, we do that in Christianity. We do it in Christianity when we come, become uncomfortable. Well, I'm just going to stay away from that. I'm upset with that person in the church, so I'm not going to talk to them anymore. I will avoid them rather than what we need to do is realise the situation that as Christians often we retreat or we react. But if we respond, we lift the hood on the real problem and we change our internal world and get our happiness back until the next trigger point. 
That's called being transformed into the image of Christ. It's sanctification. We're not perfect. We don't start perfect, but we go on a journey of internal transformation. It's like the little girl in Sunday school many years ago. She learnt the, that wonderful scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have internal life. And her mum tried to correct her, but I think she was right. We want external life rather than internal life. And I want to tell you, when we can't transform, when a tragedy comes, when you lose someone that's close to you, when you go through cancerous situations and you say, God, this has taken away my happiness. There is a trigger point of pain right here now. But God, what can you lift in this take off my life? And what can you do in my life so I can keep going around that journey of faith and not keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Because I don't want to be a church in that transition transitions, but a Christian that transforms. Does that make sense today? Do you know most of the churches in Adelaide are filled with people who were in other churches? And I want to say right now, transfer growth is okay if it's done right and it's in God. So it's not all wrong. God will shift people to put them in the church that's best for them. So I'm not against that. But when we do it because our outer world has been offended and because we're in a place where there's a trigger point. And we just keep doing this. I wish I had time to open just a message on this. You know, I do a message on hurt people hurt people. 15 things that hurt people do to hurt people because they've been hurt. Just one of those points is if you were abused in some way as a child, if we don't deal with it, we'll stay at the maturity level at the time of our abuse. We don't grow from that emotionally. Our soul is pained and hurt. Why? Because we don't understand the beautiful gift of transformation. So we can use our tears that we cry to make a river of refreshing for those that come after us. And I pray today that we will absolutely see that shift that is happening. We can turn that off now. Uh, a churchian reacts under pressure. A Christian responds under pressure. A churchian will leave when disappointed. A Christian will cleave and turn the disappointment into a God appointment. Think about that. A churchian lives by feelings. A Christian walks by faith. You know what I've noticed about churchians? When we are churchians, and I put myself in the same place, we become very religious with our mouth, but we're not real with our manner. A Christian maybe has less to say with the mouth and a lot to do with the manner. A churchian seeks to be successful because it's about self-image. But a Christian chooses to be significant so we can be conformed to his image. A churchian sees the needs of others as obstacles. But a Christian sees the needs of others as opportunity. I've been talking to pastors this week and I need to keep confidence on details, but I was talking to one of my dear friends only yesterday. He said, we've built this massive uh, auditorium for the community. The government's helped us build it so we can reach the broken. This particular church, when babies are born, stillborn, this church has done an agreement with the funeral parlour where they make these little coffins 
for the babies that are born, stillborn, because there's no help out there in the community. And they put on funerals for these families and feed these families in the community that don't know Jesus, that are going through their sorrow. And with tears in his eyes, he said to me, I can't get volunteers. People that are coming out of COVID are too tired. They're just going, we're too tired. I can't find even staff that want to do it. Do we have to be there? No, you don't have to do anything. Imagine Jesus saying to the Father, do I have to go to the cross? Well, he actually did in the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) But the answer was yes. I'm glad he didn't say in the Garden of Gethsemane, I've already shed blood. Maybe right now I need to step into heaven. I don't feel in the mood for a cross. Now, I'm not trying to be rude in saying this because I don't want it to be a guilt trip. Please, please. Because Jesus only wants those that want to serve him, not have to. But if Jesus can go all the way to the cross, I can turn up and help out somewhere. Do you know we're not saved by serving? We're saved by grace. But if we never want to serve, I don't think we've ever been saved. Wow. I'm glad you're going away. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15 says, we're saved by grace to serve the living Christ. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Not where your heart is, your treasure is. So show me what you fuel your life with and that'll tell me where Jesus fits into your life. Some to Jesus I surrender. That's all to Jesus. But then that gives us all the life we need to do whatever we need to do because he surrenders himself to us. Surrendered life, as I said a few weeks ago, is an extended life. And so this pastor I was talking to had an event on last night for that community they reach. And at the time I was talking to him, he didn't have anyone to operate the PA system. No one available to come and turn the lights on. Just too busy, man. And he goes, what do we do? I said, start a new church within the church. I said, find out those that are hungry. Find out those that have had a revelation of who Jesus is, who don't want to just park their blessed assurance on a seat on Sunday and go, that's my Christian duty. But I come on a Sunday or whenever we meet to be fueled and to be replenished. People that say, I will only do church online. That is not the Christianity of the Bible. Of course, we can do stuff online. And of course, but let me tell you, there should be a desire for one anothering. There should be a desire to be in community. There should be a desire to give of my gifts to others so I can change the world around me. That's a difference from churchianity, friends. That's Christianity. Churchians are committed to their friends at church, but it's blind loyalty. Christians are committed to biblical unity. You know, one of the greatest acts of witchcraft in the kingdom of God right now, gee, this is a really great positive message this morning. One of the great acts of witchcraft in the Christian church is when manipulation, intimidation and domination takes place in relationships that don't have all the information on stuff. People get offended on their friend's behalf 
And so people get offended and they go, well, how come they're offended? How come that's happened? How come? This is happening everywhere, friends. A lot of church growth is coming out of people leaving these kind of relationships. But nobody says, well, what does Jesus say? What does the Word of God say? Why is this happening right now? Is it a God reason? Is it a flesh reason? Let's get to the root of the issue. Are we doing reconciliation? We want the miracles of the New Testament but we don't want the togetherness of the New Testament. And the word together appeared more than the words miracles and they were together in one place and they were connected at house to house. They took every opportunity. Wherever they went together, the power of God. Well, we want the power, but we don't want the pattern. And I believe that, I'm telling you this because it's all good. It's all about to change and it's already started. I'm meeting round table with young men in their 30s over the next few weeks to talk about future church. And we don't want a regurgitation of churchianity. We want a release of uh, conviction-led Christianity that can make a difference to the world around us. Come on, give the Lord a a praise. Churchians see the Bible as a good devotional. Christians see the Bible as a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. The Bible for me has transformed my life from the age of 11 till today and it's a non-negotiable. Sometimes Christians, what we call devotions is like getting the woman's weekly and reading your stars at the end of the magazine. I wonder what I've got today. I wonder what's coming my way. Most churchians love Psalms, but they don't love the pastoral epistles. And so we've become a little bit, we don't know the Bible very well. And there's so much misuse of the Bible today that churchians are easily confused or convinced for a while. The conspiracy theories, all the stuff around Donald Trump right now. And you think, oh, this is all a conspiracy. And I've seen people consume themselves with this stuff when the Bible says in the last days, people will actually do that. But I want to tell you, a lot of people can't give you a scripture on their convictions right across. Obviously, this is not Victory Church I'm talking about. But, you know, every other place out there, there's these kind of situations. People don't know what they, what, what they believe anymore. I'm told of a young guy, and this is a good story because he loved Jesus with all his heart, gave his heart to Jesus. This is how the sovereignty of God works. On one of the South American nations, he was on the streets in his town preaching the gospel and he preached about Paul and his wife Silas in prison. Now, most of you wouldn't even know what I'm talking about this morning. Silas wasn't Paul's wife. Silas was another man he was doing ministry with. But he didn't know, but ignorance is okay when we're little like the little boy in Sunday school or children's church, where the teacher was describing how Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Most people don't even know who Lot was. Lot was the guy who saw the Lot, took the Lot and lost the Lot. Because <laughs> he looked to the world of his day and thought it was greener pastures on one side, east. When you go east, you always go the wrong way. Not, not if you're travelling east, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you want to go to Sydney, go for it. But I mean, and he heard the story of Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt 
And little Jason interrupted. He goes, my mummy looked back once while she was driving and she turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> totally missed the meaning of what that turning back was all about. Little kids are allowed to do that. New Christians are allowed to do that. But there's a coming back. And I prophesy this morning, you can test it and stone me if you think it's wrong. There's a revival of truth coming back to the church. There's a revival of truth coming back to the church and we need that because churches are filled with Christian atheists. They don't believe what's being preached, they just don't tell you because at church, that's where their friends are. They love most of what they have at church, but you know, um, I'm not gonna speak about that because I'm not sure I agree. I'm not gonna speak about that. And there's a whole lot of things right now in the Christian church that are very nebulous and people like the generation beneath us, the Gen X, the Gen Y, the Gen Zs of this world are going, if we're gonna be Christians, this better be authentic. This better be real and truth better be clear. And God wants us to grow in this truth. He really does. You know, the Bible for me has been clear. It's promised things to me. It's protected me. It's positioned me well. It's proved itself to me. And it's propelled me forward in life that if there was nothing at the end of it, I would too. This is, this is the difference between eating real ice cream and Sharon bringing me home some that doesn't have sugar in it the other day. It looked really good. I took one mouthful last night and I spat it out. I'm a diabetic and I shouldn't be eating ice cream. So I got the one without sugar. Uh, yes, I think I will not have uh, ice cream if that's all I can have. The real stuff, I said to Sharon, just give me the real stuff, but I'll only have a spoon. <laughs> I'd rather the real. And I want to tell you that Christianity is about in the taste buds of people become something that is real and edible and tangible and attractive because we've gotten back to two things. I remember, I'm telling you this, I just read this last night, another children's church story of a teacher teaching the kids to recite Psalm 23. She gave the youngsters a month to learn the chapter. Little Rick was excited about the task, but he just couldn't remember the psalm. After much practice, he could barely get past the first line. On the day that the kids were scheduled to recite Psalm 23 in front of the congregation, Ricky was so nervous when it was up to his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and said proudly, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I need to know. The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning in 45 years of walking with Jesus, He's not everybody else's shepherd, He's mine. He is, not was. He's present. He's personal. And He gives me what I need, He provides. Doesn't mean you get everything you want, but you get everything you need. There are moments, and I've shared this many times with you, but there are moments when I think of our son Chris, and especially preaching here at Victory the last, or being here, to even walk into an office the other day, and I said, is this the office where Chris used to be? I walk around my home. I look at his photo. And I start bawling my eyes out. 
Am I grateful for what happened? No, I, I don't understand it. I can't get my head around some things. and never will. But I can't deny he's my shepherd. He's personal. He's present. And he's providing. To have a young pastor turn up at my door a couple of days ago in this city, a wonderful young pastor. I felt really strange when he knelt down at my feet. He said, pray for me, Pastor Danny. And as I start praying, I'm getting all these thoughts and I'm sharing them and he's bawling like a baby and I could feel God with me. And then says to me, I've had the worst week of my life and you've just answered in that prayer the questions I was really struggling with. He's present. He's personal. And he's providing for that guy. How do you get your head around a Rick Shelton Staying in our home, laying hands on me at 11 o'clock at night, 1 December 2015. Within three days from now, Danny, young men and women are going to call you from all around the world to be a spiritual dad to them. Exactly three days later, the first call came and it hasn't stopped. December 2015, January the 22nd, 2.16, my son gets killed. I would rather my son back and not have all those other spiritual sons and daughters. If I could have him back in my flesh. But when I see, like Chris used to preach, about eternity, then everything takes on a different perspective. It doesn't say for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will have temporal life. And yet most of our preaching in our modern churches today around the world never mentions eternity. People haven't been prepared for eternity. They don't even show, know whether they believe in it. And that's just pastors. I remember Greg Doughton who's here this morning and he's always here and you're an inspiration. I'll never cease saying that to all of us. Come into our house and bringing me a book called Heaven. I don't know how many people you've given that book to, Greg. And as I read it, I thought, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And so I said to the Lord, God, what's the answer? And I'll give it to you real quick because we've got to stop. The great commandment and the great commission. I remember asking God, what's the answer? And you know, I'm going to have to leave it there because we've run out of time other than to just give you a quick comment on it. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together one of them, uh, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's read the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you till the very end of the age. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write this down because time's gone, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul is worship. Worship is not standing on this platform playing music. Worship is loving the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our soul. And that's a message on its own. Love your neighbour as yourself, friends, is ministry. Stop looking for a ministry. You have one. We all have the ministry of reconciliation to each other and God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And I want to say to you this morning, if you can love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbour as yourself, there is worship and ministry. Discipling all nations is about community. You can't disciple if we're all staying in the four walls of the church. And so there's community and under that discipling is teaching them to observe all things, is proximity. And I want to tell you, you know, I tell you today that if we can get this right, it doesn't become a program of the church. It's a proximity of people together becoming disciples of Jesus Christ organically. And I close now for sure. This is my third conclusion. Online, thank you. I've gone a couple of minutes over, but look, I'll be real quick. This is what dropped into my heart. For the last 20 years, because people around the world want to fill their buildings and and make a name for them, all that kind of stuff, what's happened is we've interpreted the Great Commission as filling buildings, getting people together. And by trying to be committed to that, we've lost the Great Commandment. If we don't have the Great Commandment of loving God first, then loving each other, the Great Commission ain't never going to happen, friends. The only people that will join are a few new people and lots of transfer. But let me tell you, if we become people that love God with all our heart and then we don't have to serve, we want to serve. We don't have to show up, we want to show up. We don't have to read the Bible, we want to read the Bible. We don't have to pray, we want to pray. Hey, Father, today, can you take us back to the great commandment? There's a reason why Dan spoke what he did last week because you're wanting to take us back to that place alone with you to put you first so we can serve you out of revelation, not obligation. Help us to love people around us as we see the needs and see that as ministry. And then Lord, release us to our community and then let us be in proximity and be the church, not churchians but following Christ Christians. Amen and amen. Bless you, God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 